0: I'm JP, and welcome to a new show on the Grapple Podcasting Network. Sounds fancy, that. Uh, It's the Grapple Roundtable. And basically, this is a new show where we're going to be doing, sort of, having a panel on to do a deep dive into a specific topic, as well as getting some opinions, some of the bigger stories in wrestling. So, uh, this week's topic is particularly relevant, giving the speaking out movement, and. Basically, it's wrestling and journalism and the wrestling media. And we've got an excellent panel of experts with us today. Uh, first of all, we have uh, Emily Pratt, um, who is a freelance writer, contributor to Fanfight and Deadlock, as well as the journals Mind Games and Orange Crush. Emily, how are you today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Absolute pleasure. Thank you for finding the time to come on uh next up we have stephanie chase uh she is an interviewer and journalist covering new japan wwe nxt aw and impact a question mark maybe whether or not you're still doing impact um for sports Keeda and digital spy and she will defend jay white to the death it's stephanie chase hello steph
2: hey jp great to talk to you again
0: thanks ever so much for coming on tolerating me again And last, but by no means least, we have Will Cooling. He's the host of the British Wrestling Report on PW Torch. He covers Midlands Pro Wrestling for the Wolverhampton Express and Star. And he has been hot on the beat uh, these last few weeks with a level of uh, prolific that reminds me of Robbie Fowler in the mid-90s. Hello, Will. How are you? Yeah, but that's when he played for
3: Everton school team. But yeah no, thank you for having me on JP. Um yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting few weeks. Uh, as I said I, I technically cover Midlands Pro Wrestling, I'm not sure there's any left. I actually was in a meeting with the West Midlands TUC earlier today to talk about what the, the do the workers can do for pro wrestlers and it's it's it's
0: all very unclear at the moment. Oh. Big stuff. Um So, first of all, let's get started. Let's get straight into it. Emily <laughs> go straight into <laughs> no pressure um Emily, the time. yeah exactly gonna turn this into jeopardy at some point as well um how do you think from what you may well have read or heard how do you think the coverage of speaking out has been
1: um i think it's been a mixed bag uh i think and i think it like how the quality of the coverage Um, it doesn't correlate with like people being professional journalists or people being like hobbyists or kind of like having started their own blog and work being like working on building it and stuff, which is interesting. Uh, I think we've seen some good, like responsible reporting of really gathering like all the facts and presenting them in a responsible way. And some people doing some quality, like, Analysis about like, would this be different if there was a union or kind of other options? And then there's been some irresponsible reporting, like, that they were recording it. I'm not sure when this is going out, but like, the Wrestling Tomorrow. Observer, oh, yeah, Wrestling Observer Radio just like had an episode where like Dave Meltzer completely like. I, I almost could not even believe how much he like belittled the issues with Matt Riddle and Will Ospreay, like on this episode. And I was just like, Oh my God, I, I can't believe it. Like this is the biggest thing in this. So um, yeah, it's been a mixed bag. I'm trying to like, kind of, you know, when I see hear or see something really bad, I try to remember like, okay, there are so many people who are handling this, And in a way where it's like they remember everybody involved is like a human being and being good at wrestling or not good at wrestling doesn't determine your worth as a human being or as like somebody capable of like doing good or bad things. Um, So, yeah, that's overall my take is like it really, really a mixed bag. But like there is, you know, there is a fair amount of good stuff Mm. out there, I think.
0: Steph, how have you found it? Because obviously uh, you kind of deal much more in, I suppose, sort of the mainstream world of, of wrestling. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask is, I mean, are you surprised by the relatively little amount of mainstream coverage of of what's happened? Do you think it – did it get lost in the shuffle amongst the stories involving sort of comedy and video games?
2: Um. I wouldn't really say I'm surprised at the lack of mainstream coverage because wrestling getting any mainstream coverage uh, isn't like that doesn't really happen. Um, and I think, yeah, with other industries like comedy um, and things that have happened in film, that's obviously a much bigger uh, industry. So that's going to get all the spotlight on it. And with wrestling, you had. Some uh, allegations, like such as like Matt Middle being someone that's on WWE, mm-hmm. that people may like that's a name that would have got attention. But so much of this was happening in the less the indie scene that isn't going to get reported on anyway. That I think, yeah, it did get completely missed by the mainstream. And um, but maybe it will come up eventually um, as further things happen. But uh, right now, I can't say I'm surprised that the mainstream didn't pick it up because I think to the mainstream, anything that happens in wrestling that has any seriousness isn't serious because it's wrestling. I don't think that the mainstream can look at it um, in the same kind of uh, objective way because they just don't understand wrestling anyway. Mm. So it's kind of harder for them to see. Um, the mainstream doesn't kind of get like what a huge... Industry wrestling is beyond WWE. It doesn't get all the small promotions. It doesn't get everything. Everything that goes on that's not on television, and it doesn't get this whole idea of like training schools and indy promotions and everything being um, connected, and how you can have this whole like system of abuse that's being built into something because they don't kind of see the structure of wrestling beyond what is on mm-hmm. TV, WWE or AEW
0: for a long time for a lot of journalists wrestling is uh wwe and wwe is wrestling will yeah i mean i think
3: the other thing as well is is it's a very difficult story to cover so i've had a few conversations with mainstream outlets because like i'm happy to do things for american websites as a hobbyist and protected by the wonderful first amendment i don't really want to do it for a british outlet um the, the, the standards the legal standards are much higher and, you know, you've had interests, um, particularly locally, and the issue has always been, I think, is the reporting restrictions. Like I, I did an article about Travis Banks, Manny McKenzie, uh, Pro Wrestling Torch, which I'd actually tried to be very careful not to to go, to cross the line where it becomes libelous, potentially libelous, I should say. And I thought I'd done it quite well. And actually, the a journalist I spoke to, or a mainstream outlet said, actually, there's like 10 things you're doing in this article we would not be able to do. No. Not least of all, believes it or not, is mention Minnie McKenzie. Because if she ever decided to bring it to court, she would have the right to um, insist on anonymity. Um, you might say, oh, she's, she's talked about it in public, but until she waives it in court, she still has that right. So I think one of the issues you've had in Britain is actually there are quite severe barriers to actually get this stuff checked out legally before mainstream outlets can report on it. Mm.
0: And it's kind of an unholy combination. You've got that kind of mixture of the legal, plus at the same time you've got the kind of press restrictions as well, which then kind of leads to really where we are now, Emily, I mean, in terms of wrestling media itself. I mean, it's not really set up to cover stories like this, is it?
1: no (laughs) yeah no it isn't it's like um yeah I mean people generally get into doing media for wrestling because they like wrestling (laughs) and not because they're they're you know really want to write about like the real life aspects of it unless it's like being you know I think everybody likes to hear backstage stories to some extent but Um, yeah, I think, yeah, there's like a lot of people who are just like blogging about wrestling and they feel that they should cover backstage rumors, quote unquote, and stuff Mm. like that. But then when it's like, oh, there are actually, this is like people's jobs and like people's lives and it's things that happen backs backstage or off screen are not just like tabloid rumors. Mm. Sorry, my phone. That's Uh, right. Yeah, so I think that some people are probably finding they're not really, like, equipped to deal with it personally as well as, like, some... I know when I worked for Uproxx, which I did until recently, kind of any anything serious uh, we had to go through. That What that was, like, a, um, a larger website. We were, like, the wrestling section of a larger website that covered music and sports and stuff like that and kind of anything serious we would have to get sent through like another le- another level of editorial and stuff just this is like an American website so we were didn't have the same situation as Will was talking about but yeah that's another issue also which which I like in our case I think this was like it is good to if you're normally write about more light-hearted pop culture stuff and then it's like uh, okay, we don't normally deal with this. Yeah, let's have more people check it out. I think that's, like, a good practice. But it is, like, it it is, like, uh, you know, so many places in media people are, like, already kind of just stretched their <laughs> limit and they, like, are not paid very well. So that's, like, it's hard for people to kind of have the incentive to, like, they really have to take it upon themselves to, like, usually put in the extra time, hmm even if it's, like, at a professional
3: outlet. And the thing you have to remember is the discourage from talking about difficult topics. I mean, yeah. you've got for coronavirus, it'll be true for things about sexual assault. Advertisers don't want to see the advert next to a depressing, horrible story. Mm-hmm. And through an you funding an advertiser-funded website, it's you know, there's a lot of pressure to not talk about this, just talk about the stuff that actually your WWE fans want to mm. talk about. And I think that's one of the things you always have to, you can't overlook. You know, like, to a certain extent, people get the media they deserve. And I think wrestling fans get the wrestling media they deserve. And I'll give you an example. I used to write the swear Magazine. I don't think before my door will mind me saying this. They had to have a WWE guy on the front cover. Mm. They tried to do the occasional... Veteran WCW guy, they try to do the occasional UFC guy, they try to do impact. If they did not have a WWE guy on the front cover, people would not buy the magazine just based on the wrestler who was on the front cover. So there is that, also that pressure of do you spend all this time, all this money developing an article on this really difficult subject when the people who are actually going to read your stuff? Other people who are trolling victims Mm. in Twitter comments. The whole system is set up to actually not talk about these issues.
0: Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, earlier on, Emily, you mentioned Dave Meltzer. I was kind of thinking and looking at, like, the. it's very odd because you look at the kind of different areas of journalism that exist. He's kind of doing, like expect you know he's doing feature writing he's doing news he's doing reviews he's doing columns but he's also kind of doing investigative journalism i say investigative in inverted quotes i can't think of human beings who are kind of set up to do that and yeah you know in your profession steph like is this are those all of those skills it's not feasible for you to be able to cover all of these things
2: um <laughs> no and um a, a rest. Section of somewhere, it's um, certainly not like have that many people on staff for people to take on all these different things. Like it's so hard enough to get the person to do WWE and the person to do that. Mm-hmm. Wrestling itself is um, this business that like people on the outside don't understand, and people like have all these different thoughts of. And then when you look at how wrestling journalists. Because the secrecy of wrestling have been traditionally treated, mm.
3: it's
2: no wonder that wrestling journalism isn't that great, even if we did have like a mainstream backing. Because, like, just to use like Dave as an, ex- as an example, obviously, this has not been a good week to be. <laughs> no. <amazing.
3: laughs>
2: But if you if you look at the history of like Dave's writing and this whole idea of like dirt sheets and whatever and how like the wrestling industry kind of looked at that to the point where it's like they didn't even want anyone reporting on wrestling. And even the fact that wrestling has a history of like the after mags of people actually selling magazines of these character stories is Hmm. kind of and you think about it as well um, so I think wrestling just has its own kind of weird problem where there is a certain uh, section of fans that don't want anyone to in any way like critique wrestling it feels like only in wrestling would you have that um, debate that you see online of can you even critique a wrestling match if you haven't wrestled like that's like such a that is such a wrestling mm. thing because just the industry in itself, with the with the secrecy that it's had, with its strange history, that is all bred into how wrestling journalism is. Where it's this weird thing where you've got some people that write for for some mainstream artlets, and that's very small, and then you've got a lot of people sometimes with a much bigger platform that are essentially bloggers who are, or in a way, just tweeters who are just trying to raise their profile as much as they can by using, like, backstage rumours, backstage this, you know, like, that kind of, like, draw people in. Um, so, yeah, wrestling media in itself is as bizarre as the wrestling business. And I think anyone that's not connected to the wrestling business at all would be completely, like, what the fuck about... Mm. Um, not just wrestling is and the wrestling business, like... I have subjected enough non-wrestling fans to wrestling podcasts when I've been in hotels with them, and they cannot believe that there is enough news in wrestling to <laughs> um Like, for example, an Observer podcast every day, and I'm sitting telling them, like, if you think there's a lot going on in whatever you're into, you have no idea what wrestling is like. You know, for someone with so much going on, there's just so little, um, like, proper... Uh,
0: way to get an artist <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, it's always seemed like it's reporting on the wild west like yeah how do yeah. you do that it's a lawless unregulated industry will
3: yeah i i agree with everything steph said that i think mm. um absolutely true i don't want to go back to that point you were making about dave jp which is it's not just that one person can't do this it's that they shouldn't um, this is not an attack on Dave. We'll, we'll, we'll unfortunately get to that later. Um, but, like, you know, that's the way he makes his money. That's the way, say, like, the, the editor of the website I do my podcast for, way Kayla makes his money. But in normal journalism, you wouldn't have your investigative reporter, your editor, your mm. film critic, your, um, you know, lifestyle, features, interviewer be the same person because they have different push pull influences incentives for their work mm. um i know you wouldn't want your outspoken critic to be the person who's got to get interviews with your with your kind of performers because if they're outspoken and they're in their reviews they're going to annoy the uh, pe- people they're trying to interview or vice versa they're going to pull punches on the reviews and then not uh, out so they can get the interviews, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you see this to a certain extent this year, which is, you know, who are the people who have gotten the best scoops in wrestling this year? It's not a Dave Meltzer. It's probably somebody like Sean Ross Sapp, who, mm-hmm. you know, personally nothing not against the guy. I think pulls his punches quite badly against WWE, but be- because of that, he has better connections mm. within WWE because it is such a partisan, you know, back back outside type business. And so you get a you get a story like this, you know, Dave, you no, know, someone like Dave, someone like Wade, anybody. They not only are they trying to do all these various different things they've got to do. You then have the issue of region, because one of the difficult things of speaking out is, is it a British story that went stateside? Is it a state? Is it an American story that went to Britain? It's somewhere in between. And so a lot of the time you're getting American journalists talk about a British aspects of the story which they have to do because their American listeners or their British listeners want to hear them talk about it, but they don't actually understand the minutiae of the issue because most British journalists wouldn't understand it either. And so it just, it's just exposed how no. inadequate wrestling journalism is. And it's not the, the individual journalist's fault.
0: It's that the system has created, um, has basically set themselves up to fall. Speaking of Dave Meltzer, a very sort of breaking story for when we're recording um, was his thoughts on the Will Osprey situation, and in particular some of the comparisons he made with that. Will, going to ask you how, what did you make of it?
3: Yeah, and I I, I suppose like you know, I I think I was one of the first people to bitch and moan about this on Twitter. Uh, of uh, the day of recording when it, when I li- was listening to Westman Observer. And I want to just preface this. I, I do have, I mean, utmost respect for Dave. Um, you know, he's obviously done this for a long time and he is surprisingly helpful to journalists on the way up uh, in, in my experience, obviously maybe different from other people. Um, but he got this badly, badly wrong. and It's not the first time during this speaking out moment he's got it badly wrong you know he compared people um uh, he compared the last way to hannah Kimura, and that's just wrong um hannah Kimura was somebody that did nothing wrong you know there was a silly stunt on a reality show that got a vitriolic you know hate mail um um, that that she was co-opted into
0: doing by the television company.
3: Exactly. It was it was nothing to do with wrestling. It was nothing to do with wrestling. Mm-hmm. It wasn't wrestling fans sending the hate messages. It was in t- it was the reality show fans. And with Will Spray, you know, obviously there have been people saying awful things Will Osprey that they shouldn't be saying, and that's wrong. But. What I seen is mostly people holding him to account and saying, "Look, you yourself admit it that you bad mouthed uh, Pollyanna, a women's wrestler." Um, our, you no, know, when promotions asked whether they should book her, uh, you're not just some ficker who just does flips. Um, you know, you at the time you were a promoter for uh, Lucha Forever, which, by the way, went out of business. Uh, when Venues, wrestlers, fans, thousands and thousands of pounds. You sent us for another promotion called Frontline, where the woman is a like the per, the man that Pollyanna um, accused of raping her, sexually assaulting her. You booked him on that show, repeat on that in that promotion repeatedly, and you know. You can no. Everyone's going to make judgment calls when it comes to these allegations. You can make judgment calls, but what Dave did was he compared somebody who did nothing wrong to somebody who has been accused of blacklisting a rape uh, sexual assault victim. Um, he has compared reality show fans who drove a woman to suicide with wrestling fans who are trying to get Will Ospreay, a man who has had unending adulation from uh, wrestling fans, including myself, including JP. Um, and not only that, but you dismissed the allegation of something that happened years ago. It didn't happen years ago. It happened in 2000... You know, these allegations first served as, what 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. That's not that long ago. And... You said that the people who make the most noise about this don't care about the truth, which is like, well, no, actually, we do care about the truth. The truth is obvious. If you understand anything about the British wrestling business, if you understand anything about the British wrestling business, you know how important the Resistance Gallery is to small independent promotions that want to run London. Um, The the IWL, the one that has came forward and actually admitted to remove in uh, Pollyanna on the behest of of, uh, of the people behind Nutra Britannia, but also pro wrestling, Eve, also other promotions. And we all know that either Willow Spray directly or people working on his behalf told promotions who relied on the Resistance Gallery to not book Pollyanna. And that spread like a ricochet throughout the industry. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to believe that Scotty Rayne sexually assaulted her, raped her. You don't necessarily have to believe that Will Osprey made it his mission to destroy her. But you can't dismiss the allegations as unfounded because there's so much circumstantial evidence available. You can't dismiss the people who are trying to pursue this story and get Osprey to properly own up to what he did as hysterical as hate-filled, and you certainly can't pretend that this is all some tittle-tattle that happened years ago because it isn't. Frontline, Jotty Raymine was wrestling for Frontline last year. It's that recent. Hmm.
1: Yeah, Oh, I'll I'll add, uh, I think, like, part of why this is so frustrating and like irresponsible from a journalism perspective in covering the whole speaking out situation, anything about abuse, like not only in wrestling, but in other entertainment, it's like if we make, if we say like, if you're good enough or you're popular enough, you don't have to face any consequences for anything and you can do whatever you want and your friends can do whatever you want and nobody's going to stand up to you, like, that incentivizes bad behavior, and, like, media should not, media needs to not stick up for that. Like, I think this is, like, the, I think that's so easy to see, looking at it on a macro, like, stepping back from it, like, this, in context, the most powerful, like, people doing this is, like, we need to not make exceptions for them no matter how much you like them as a wrestler. Like I really enjoy the work of Matt Riddle. <laughs> I'm like very concerned about what's going on with him. Like I, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's like very enabling of just like abuse in the industry for people who should know better to, to, uh, to like make exceptions for like people they're friendly with or people they're like, cause that's kind of like a big part of why this is such a big problem in the first place. Yeah, I think Dave is
2: um, definitely trying to make some kind of uh, exception for us probably, but I think Dave, uh, like I am, I am someone that listens to Dave every day. Like I'll put that out there. I do, I do always listen to him. I do respect him as journalist, but every time anything comes up in wrestling that you would say is uh, something to do with women or any kind of women's kind of issue. When David's about to talk about it, I immediately cringe because I think there, there is something there that's maybe his, I don't want to say it's his age, but his bubble that he keeps himself in Mm -hmm. that he doesn't seem to be the most open to understanding problems uh, from other people. Women, let's say that aren't in his bubble, and um, and you know you like he, he he just has this idea of like no one can say he has any kind of misogyny because he really likes nineties Japanese women's wrestling, so he just use that forever as his cover. But the,
0: um, the old Manami Toyota defense. Right?
3: <laughs> so, some of my favorite wrestlers are Jap-
2: or Japanese women. Uh, J P. Have you know? <laughs> like he. Dave and also Osprey really don't seem to be seeing um, this situation from the perspective of Pollyanna at all, which I don't understand. It's like Dave is saying, you know, don't go after Will Osprey. Like, well, he, Not that he's saying that, but, he's, but he seems to be thinking like... No, don't. he
3: literally said, don't yeah. go after Will Osprey. I mean, that, um, that, that isn't an exaggeration.
2: And I think there's a fear from people that Osprey's career could be ended over this. And anyone that's having this fear and even Osprey himself doesn't seem to be showing any understanding or empathy towards what Pollyanna went through that might help them um, come to understand why it is an issue and why it is bad. I think Dave wants to um, see it because there's not like a clear solution for it. Okay, it's not like um, you can say he should definitely be fired for this. Like no one seems to have a clear answer of what we should do with will osprey and i think um dave's comments made it seem like he thinks it's something that maybe on the level of like this sammy Gavar
3: mm. instance
2: where like he made a mistake a couple of years ago and it's not on the same level as the other allegations we've seen but the osprey one seems to be somewhere more in the middle <laughs> urging towards the harder end like he he it it does seem he did blackball with someone and did really run their career. And um, this needs to be, I would just love to see from Osprey himself accountability and empathy. And I think if he showed either of those two things, then we might not be in a situation where anyone, Dave feels like people are handing Osprey because he's getting these messages because he's not. Um, he's not said anything of substance to anyone, he's not said anything satisfactory, but yeah, it's absolutely nothing like the Hanukkah incident uh, mm-hmm. at all um, it, I thought it was quite strange and disrespectful for, mm-hmm. for him to bring it up in that way actually because we can't be at the point where if someone is asking for someone else to be accountable or even just apologise for something that you turn around and say don't send them messages, remember what happened to Hannah when it's not even the
3: same thing at all. Yeah,
0: it's very much a case of false equivalency there. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very
3: much. I think that comparison, Sammy Kavarr is a really good comparison in terms mm. of getting across what Dave was thinking. It's important to stress why it's different. I, no, what Sammy did was awful, it's right he was suspended, it's right he's gone through the sensitivity training. But that was like a young trainee with no power in the wrestling business. Will Ospreay in 2017 was one of the five biggest stars in British wrestling, maybe one of the biggest three. Um, He was already a big name. He already had the New Japan stuff. He was somebody who could make or break a promotion. And he was wrestling in the UK more often. So you really knew if you were a small promotion, you couldn't get on his wrong side. And because of his links with Lucia Britannia, the people who controlled the Resistance Gallery, you know, he had even more control. And so there is that power. He, it is not just a Fico ranting up on Twitter about his mate. It is somebody with very, you know, with real power in the business, a, a two-time promoter, one of the biggest stars in the, indus- in the industry in Britain. Talking about this, and I think one of the issues you have had through speaking out is this kind of it's the older, uh, it's the old liner uh, Brit- Brit- Britons and Americans, we, um, uh, we, we we, speak the same language, but we don't share the same culture. And there's a lot of stuff that gets lost in translation. I, I want to, if you don't mind, I just want to ask Emily a question because one of the things I've been struck with when I talk to Americans is it feels like American journalists are much more concerned about the issue of false allegations than British journalists are. British journalists have all their concerns about um, making sure they don't know crossover libel thresholds, stuff like that. But it seems like American journalists, particularly uh, male journalists, have this real fear of what if it's a false allegation. I have several arguments with people. Do you have any... Understanding about why that may be because it, it it definitely feels like it's a it's a bigger concern for Americans than it is their peers in Britain.
1: Um, I don't I don't really know. I think, yeah, I don't really know because it's like you can definitely cover this stuff. I think in a way in America where you, I mean, you are not like going to get sued if you just report like the facts of like the story of something like this where somebody made an accusation, somebody responded and stuff like that. Like you're, I, I don't really understand it. I think like some of it is like there, there is like misconceptions about how common like false rape accusations are like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so I, but I don't really know like um, what it is. Uh, I don't know if there's anything specific about American I guess we did have like a one high-profile actual false rape accusation like a decade ago in sports with the Duke lacrosse team scandal. That's the only like that could be a really big influence on people, but like I, it might just be like misconceptions about how to cover like rape or Mm. how common rape is (laughs) versus false allegations.
3: Uh, If there's one thing I could also say as well, which is, and I understand why people get annoyed by this, but both both for legal no both for legal protection of people writing it or hosting the articles or the podcasts, but also to prevent things like contempt of trial. You know, you do have to be careful when talking about allegations and alleged and stuff like that. But I, I do think some people forget the other way. Because yes, obviously, if you repeat a unsubstantiated allegation as if it's fact, you are you risk unfairly damaging somebody's uh, reputation. But if you accept a unsubstantiated denial as fact,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and then cast aspersions on the person who made the, the initial accusation. You are damaging that person's reputation, and at the very least, you have to keep neutral language on both sides. I think this is one of the things. Well, unfortunately, I think the the Observer has fallen down, which is you no, know, it is the you no, know, the tried and tested. This is this is an allegation. The denial is true, and um, we need evidence of the allegation. Rather than it, it, it that, that stands up. And I think that's what we've got to get beyond. Even if you don't want to be too crusading, you don't want to be too out there when it comes to this, at least treat both sides with the same sense of neutrality because otherwise you are just empowering people who might, who might abuse women, if not the particular people, the people that are watching this and realise they can get away with whatever they want if they're a good enough wrestler.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good point. Like the, how serious it is, like to be a person, to like be believed to be somebody who like goes and accuses people of like extremely serious crimes. Like that's, yeah, that's also like, that's very bad for that person's reputation also. So like, yeah, being, yeah, you gotta be careful, but it's like. I mean, sorry, um, Yeah, sorry, re- re- like definitely recognize like how risky it is for somebody to be to accuse like a powerful person of anything. It's incredibly risky.
3: Mm. I mean, I mean, you won't know this Emily, because it's about British politics. But um, um, you know, our labor, no, our Labour Party, our group of the Democrats, they're in a process of having to apologise in court for I think seven uh, former party staffers. Who went forward with allegations of anti Semitism and they said these allegations are false, they're a bunch of cranks, they're all just saying it because they hate the current leadership. And they said, Well, hang on wait a minute, you're attacking our character. That's libel. And I think that's again like that's the thing people don't recognise. If you attack people to make accusations, that's libel too, Mm. if it's not true.
2: Yeah. Dave, um, he would really have been better saying something completely different than what he said because he literally sounded in his post like he was almost teasing that there was something that people didn't want to know, or like didn't know or didn't want to know. And it's like, okay, Dave, if you think like there's something that needs to be more investigated here, why don't you why don't you go for it instead of uh, making a really cryptic uh, comment at the end when you. The, firstly, like, compared the world situation to Hannah, it was just, like, a really bizarre, bad, kind of totally non-journalistic way to handle it mm. <laughs> at, at all. Yeah,
3: yeah I, I, I I, think as well, just one thing, just add on to that slightly, but yeah, no, also, Dave could just say he doesn't to cover this. Like, he has enough, you know, if he's really that uncomfortable with it, if he just wants to do match reviews if he just wants to do obituaries if he just wants to talk about you know the ups and downs of the ratings he can just do that like there is something to know your own limits and knowing what you can and can't cover mm. um and uh, but yeah no it, it, again like i mean i mean huge fun of day melts but this 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 was a bad misstep
0: I know, Emily, for you, you you cover a number of promotions, don't you? Um, All non-WWE, would that be correct?
1: Yeah, I kind of, like, when I started writing for Uprax, like, everybody was, I mean, people were already doing all the WWE and Impact, and I watched New Japan, so... You dodged a bullet,
0: basically, didn't you?
1: I did. (laughs) I am glad with what I ended up with. So I kind of, like, because that was what people were not pitching already. I was like, I kind of made it a habit to look at like stories out beyond mm-hmm. WWE because that was just what made sense for me to do. But yeah. That, so and, yeah, that is true.
0: And did you find when you were dealing with these promotions in order to kind of um, cover various features that, that you would be writing, that it is the problem of kind of how wrestling itself is structured in terms of being able to kind of get access, you know, Did you find, like, and you, I'm imagining, like, all of you would have had, there's various points of thinking, how the hell do you cover this business? It's just, it's decided almost that it's intrinsically set up not to be covered in any kind of serious way.
1: Yeah, um, I guess it it is interesting. You have to have kind of, like, a just, uh, I mean, even trying to contact, like, a wrestler or a wrestling promotion, it's sometimes easier Sometimes you can just go through their contact information, but sometimes it's better to, like, ask your friend who knows somebody who works there and is like, will they really answer this, or can you give me some other contact information? Like, I was just doing this the other day. So it is, like, the layer of secrecy, I guess, really varies by promotion. And, yeah, it's, like, definitely – you know it's like a carny business and i guess every company wants to control their own narrative but it is interesting with wrestling because of just how it's set up it, it just varies by mm. by company if you're even able to like talk to them a, a, like talk to a representative of the company at all or anything like that
0: it it almost feels i don't know how you feel about it. definitely like sometimes with the smaller indies like companies feels like too grandiose a title um, it, it, i mean i can understand it within sort of wwe and new japan and and i can even imagine say even a dragon gate has an office per se of people working for them and and a lot of the japanese promotions as well um but do you feel steph that um like what can really change within this like i mean and, and that's really kind of where where we are at the moment, and I say this as someone who records very much a fan podcast, if there was a, a, grandiose tome, to, ter, hmm, a grandiose term that I would give myself it'd be more of, say, a critic or a reviewer as much as anything else, but I can't always admit to being professional about wrestling um, is it a case where the people who cover it need to kind of deal with it as an act of, of you know treat it with the level of seriousness it deserves? Is it about trying to influence... It's, is it about trying to turn wrestling mainstream in order for it to get the coverage so it is scrutinised in the way where the access has to be kind of given by the companies and it's very restricted what you can do?
2: Um, so that's a hard question. but what And a I,
0: rambling one, I apologise. Okay. <laughs> um, like,
2: way... With, with what I do, um, with interviewing, like, um, so I, ne- I never wanted, I never wanted to do reviews of Raw mm. or Smackdown anything, so I, I got lucky that the opening was there of someone someone to be an interviewer, um, and, and that's, like, the way I wanted to cover wrestling, and I didn't also, the other thing I didn't want to do was kind of, like, report the rumors or anything like mm. that. Like, I... That more, what I'm into doing is talking to people and finding out like who they are, how they got there, uh, all that kind of stuff. Like I end up, um, I have ended up t- <clears throat> talking to a lot of like female wrestlers. It's kind of my favorite thing to do to find out like what what brought them to this. Um, finding out if they had the same experiences as me, as me being a young girl watching it. So I think if you take someone like me. Um, I can definitely try when I am getting access to these people to ask more important questions and try and get them to talk on certain topics. Um, Like, like I just talked to Brandy Rhodes and I did try and ask her about like being a woman in wrestling and what kind of conversations that they're trying to have, you know, backstage to make sure that all the women feel comfortable. But as far as like just the whole wrestling landscape, I don't know if there needs to be some kind of separation between, um, I don't want to say like journalists and non-journalists, but it seems like everyone's just in the same basket Mm. Um, and not everyone has the, not just the like backing to go so in depth to things or to cover stuff in a certain degree, but they probably maybe don't have the skills either so it's just very hard. And I think like Twitter kind of exasperates that as well, because you know, there's can set yourself up as someone that's commenting or writing on the wrestling industry. And all you can, all you have to do is send out tweets. So, um, I don't know. It's very difficult to know what the, like, cause we can't all just get together and decide like, this is what, what we're going to do guys as the wrestling, you know, journalists of the world. um, <laughs>
0: unite avengers style <laughs>
2: but i think you know you you can't just you know go out to the mainstream and say hi please respect us in wrestling so that we can uh, like i wish you could do that i would do that every day like um, but i think all we could do is like the people that actually want to make wrestling something more serious something that can be taken mm. more seriously so that if like God forbid other things happen again that this can become more of a mainstream story mm. um, we can just try to push on and hopefully um, hopefully try to make wrestling some, something that people not only understand but take seriously um, so these things can happen again because I can't help thinking that so much of this is to do with the crazy secret carny business that we're dealing with and people's perception of the crazy secret carnival business that we're dealing with
0: yeah and and emily just to to ask uh, to follow on from that in terms of women um and their representation within the wrestling media as well and i say this as someone who's been as guilty as anyone of of not sort of um listening to women's voices do you think that's part of the problem here in terms of being taken seriously is wrestling media itself represents itself as somewhat of a boys club yeah
1: i mean i think i don't know if that like that's an issue specifically with like wrestling media as much Mm -hmm. as it is with just like wrestling wrestling fandom really where you know there's like i mean there's a lot of there are spaces in wrestling fandom that are like just you know, women in, like, Discord channels and, like, on Tumblr because they, like, do not even want to deal with regular, like, wrestling Twitter and stuff like that, where it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to, like, hang out with, like, ten of my friends in this Discord channel because I don't want to deal with this. Like, I don't want to deal with some dude getting in my replies because I didn't like this match or whatever. And just, like, silly stuff like that where it's like, you know, people fight about dumb stuff (laughs) in, like, all fandoms, but, yeah, I mean... Uh, maybe if people are in wrestling media, it would help to kind of, I guess, talk, talking about, like, more mainstream art forms. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's generally accepted you can have different, like, critical approaches to things, and they're valid as long as you can, like, do your essay well or your podcast well. Like, you can approach things differently, have different opinions And what matters is, like, how those things are expressed. Mm. And then, you know, you can read an article or a review and decide whether, you know, evaluate that on your own. But I think, like, sometimes in wrestling there's this thing where it's like, well, this, okay, this is, like, the unimpeachable guy right now. Nobody can say anything bad about him and people just being really obnoxious to each other about having different opinions. So... I think if maybe even just on, like, uh, if we could kind of, like, de-escalate things just on, like, a fandom level mm. and just, like, you know, I don't want to be like the, oh, everybody has to be positive about everything all the time. Because it's like, you don't, know, and it's, like, it's fun to, like, just talk shit about stuff you don't like sometimes. But, like, you know, allow people to have their different opinions and don't, like... Decry them because, like, uh, girl fans are dumb or whatever. I think that that would probably help, like, as a start. I think.
3: Can I come in Because I wonder whether we need to escalate things. Because I used to think, like, why is it that wrestling has not had a game against? Oh, yeah. that, that says something nice about pro wrestling. Now, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe pro wrestling fans aren't as big. A bunch of knuckle draggers has some aspects of video game, the video game community, and then you realise it was like, well, no, actually, the reason why you got game again is that a bunch of a bunch of predominantly white, but you can't say exclusively white, predominantly straight, you can't say exclusively straight men, and it was almost entirely men, had their preconceptions challenged, and they threw their toys out of their pram, and they had their preconceptions challenged by young women. Um, or non-binary people or trans people, and that hasn't happened in wrestling. So actually, I almost think like the culture war has to get worse because the reason why wrestling, until the past month or so, has gotten away with this culture war breaking out and on, on the highest level, is that other voices haven't been heard. I mean, at the end of the day, you know you know, God bless Dave, Wade, they, these are guys who made their names in the 80s. Can you think of another sport, another art form, that um, where they leading in journalists are hangovers from the 80s? That's just not the way the world works. Like, in most forms of journalism, they're trying to kick out the people that made their names in the 10s, let alone the noughties, let alone the 90s, let alone the 80s. I mean, literally, Dave Meltzer's first reportage was being done in the 70s, for crying out loud. Mm. Um, in terms of this issue of women's representation, it is key. It is key to why this issue and other issues haven't been covered properly. Um, the old feminist line if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Um, and th- obviously, some of that is overt sexism. Um, um, I'm sure, I don't know if you remember this, uh, Steph, but I'm sure JP will. You know, when you had the first women presented to a match of the day um, in terms of yes. a woman football commentator. Jackie you had avert aver sexism because some men did not want a woman talking about football on their TV. Um, but there's also structural issues. And I think one of the things wrestling media really does struggle with is lack of formal editors. There's a lot of people in pro, res- in pro wrestling media that call themselves editors, but they're not editors. An editor is somebody who is responsible for a publication. He is going out there or she is going out there um, all day to find talent, to hone talent. And I've done it. I used to do it for an MLA website uh, a couple of years, uh, Fox Sports affiliate. And, you know, it's backbreaking work, particularly if you're dealing with raw talent. But do, that work will create new people. And I know the people who did it for me made me a better journalist. There's nobody, in my opinion, mm. who's doing that in pro wrestling. And so it kind of does go to people who are self-motivated, people who are hobbyists, people who have experience in other lines of work, people who are lucky. I'd count myself as the people who have been lucky to break into a system that doesn't have that systemized. We are looking for talent. We know we have to find talent from these underrepresented groups, and we are going to work with them to unlock their potential. Um, and, And that's why it is the same people dominating pro wrestling media that dominated in the 80s and 90s, because it's a very small pot of money, And this is, you know, they, they are the people who kind of have the platform and it's not clear how you break that because you obviously can't expect people to put themselves out of work, but it's obviously ludicrous that, you know, you talk about a sexual abuse scandal in Britain that we we're looking to a 58, 59 year old man in California to, uh, to report it properly.
1: Yeah. Oh, I have actually a take on this is like, I definitely agree. There's a total, like a lack of, of editors. Uh, like some of the, the people like best influences, like on me since I started writing about wrestling, it were like actual editors who worked for the Up Rock sports section. So, which was a more normal structure. And those like were people that really helped me. So I think that like, Part of like why there are not editors <laughs> is like larger problems in digital media. Which, like, you know, there were just like Vox layoffs today and Guardian layoffs today. Yeah. It's like so much bigger than wrestling. But um, oh and I think um, this is like kind of sounds like sucking up because this is like where I currently work. But now I recently started working for fanbite media more regularly. And so I think because I <laughs> being so like, oh, there's nobody, I do think um, LB Hunk Tears which I know is an unusual pending, but at Hunk Tears on Twitter uh, is the editor. And I think LV is like actually a good editor who is interested in building up new talent. So I think if people are listening to this thinking like, Oh, I want to do wrestling media, but I knew like, I would consider, you know, pitching to fan because there is a freelancer budget and an editor who will work for you. So, or will work with you to improve. Stuff and is looking for different perspectives. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. There might be other websites too, but just in my personal experience, that's something that was appealing to me about working with uh, Fanbite. So, that's a message to all the, any like uh, <laughs> bloggers out there <laughs> who want to write about wrestling. And like journalism itself is so hard to break into. Like, yeah. let alone wanting to do.
2: Uh, wrestling journalism, I think, like <clears throat> someone like like me, got lucky that I wanted to do wrestling journalism. Ended up getting a job at a place that covered wrestling, and then said, "Hey, can I do the wrestling stuff?" You know, like that kind of way. Like that's really the luckiest way you can get to do wrestling journalism. Because before that, you know, I tried to get in anywhere doing wrestling, and it's like, no, you basically have to find another job that will lead you to doing a bit of wrestling and then when you start doing your wrestling stuff you have to find a way to um, expand that and have people accept things less than an interview with The Rock <laughs> because <laughs> you know, it's like uh, when you're trying to, uh, to like build on, on wrestling and stuff and you're going to say, like, oh, I can get an interview with this really great wrestler. Well, if the person, um, like the other people working there, if their knowledge of who a wrestler is, is The Rock or Hulk Hogan, and it's not one of those two, it can become like, very tricky and a constant like, I even feel um, not, not with what I'm doing now, but even just just um, kind of existing in this wrestling journalism bubble and getting to do what i like want and getting people to actually read my stuff all that kind of stuff i do feel like every day can just feel like a fight like a battle to to the where you can get to the point of going uh, wouldn't it be so nice to like do something easy where you like don't actually care Yeah, like when I have worked in, you know, newspapers and stuff like that where, you know, people would just come in and they write their stuff that day and then they just like go home and they don't even think about it. Sometimes I'm like, it sounds really nice because I'm sitting here agonizing, like over trying to write up something that I'm not even sure enough people will even read. You know, do think we in it? So yeah, like wrestling journalists struggle, but I think journalism in general struggle like the whole system. I don't know what it's like in America, but in the UK it's definitely still like a very middle class thing where to get into it. You basically need to have, to have to do work experience. So you need to be able to afford to do work experience. Um system is pretty tough as far as bringing in um new voices and more diverse voices and everything like that. Yeah. Can, I, mean, so,
3: sorry, can I can I just go very quickly, though? Not to get all um, reverse for Yorkshireman, but I actually think I have the luckiest entry into wrestling journalism because I was at a UFC event, a UFC, I want to say UFC 120, and I bumped into uh, somebody I'd worked on, an MMA magazine, uh, Brian Elliott, and we're talking to him as we're desperately trying to find a person who can give us our credentials so we can go cage side. And he's like, um, uh, "Are you a wrestling fan, Will?" And it's like, oh, "Yeah, I used to be, but uh, you know, like most wrestling fans, it's it's crap now. I don't really watch it." And uh, he's like, "Oh well, I've just taken over a pro wrestling magazine." He's like, "Well, actually, uh, blah 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 blah," and I managed to talk talk my way out of that hole and do a profile on the Undertaker. And I ended up writing for him for nine years, which I think is a lot luckier than your way into a Digital Spy.
2: Well, I mean, mine's kind of weird, too, because the first wrestling story I ever did for Digital Spy was they were asking people to um, write a story about how something in entertainment helped you with your mental health, like, get over everything. And I wrote a story about the Undertaker's character helping me accept death when I was 10. <laughs> and, wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was the first uh, wrestling story a uh, digital spy ever published for me. So after that, I was like, you know, like me, i um, revealing that uh, sad story about myself. I'd like to do more
3: wrestling, <laughs> <laughs> once,
2: happier ones next time. <laughs> But you know both the Undertaker, so Yeah, both
3: Undertaker. <laughs> t- <laughs> <laughs> Emily, what's the best you wrote about the Undertaker?
1: Oh, uh first time I okay, so I have a kind of a more similar story to Stephanie where I wrote for uh uh as a work experience or I guess I'd say unpaid internship over here. I worked for a like a local um theater and arts uh website and had like a day job and stuff like that and then would go go do that um and then i pitched a story about a local indie which does not exist anymore because it was riddled with sexual predators go figure. uh (sighs) and um then i used that as a writing sample when i like Got in touch with Uprox people completely by coincidence after I moved to California. So it was like, and that was just like I mentioned I had written about wrestling, and then it led to me working there also unpaid (laughs) at first for a month, and then you know, slowly getting to do more and more stuff. So, um, yeah, the way in is very weird and (laughs) difficult.
3: (laughs) I mean, that, that is one of the things that is overlooked. And it's one of the things I have to push back on people sometimes. It's like, mm-hmm. and I don't begrudge first and torch because I think it, it allows me to come and go as I please. I've got a full-time job. But, like, i would written for a magazine for 10 years. i would written for websites 10 years before that. And when they brought me onto to the podcast, there was no budget to pay me. The local newspaper that was West the West Midlands report again, you go to when they say, well, we'll take the stuff, we'll be for free. I mean, I do think people don't realise, this is before the coronavirus and the apocalypse has hit journalism now, they don't realise how non-existent the margins are that journalist yeah. outlets are existing on and how there is just no money for anything.
0: I was going to ask this as a kind of wrap up um, more to the conversation in terms of actual changes that can come for us are we kind of relying on a athletic style model to come across where it's um, subscription journalism I know the athletic has had kind of layoffs in the meantime but does it require JP,
3: JP the athletic mm. is not subscription journalism it's hedge fund. Yes, journalism very very <laughs> true <laughs> um Wrestling's ahead of the curve. It has its subscription services. It's a Wrestling Observer. It's it's the Pro Wrestling Torch, and there are a few new entrants who are only going to the business in the in the nineteen nineties, such as John Pollock but, and Ray with uh, Post Wrestling.
0: Um, so I was going to I, ask I, as a as an open kind of question for it. Then
2: I think any kind hmm. of subscription based thing is not going to help us in um, and diversify Mm. and get the coverage wider and better because it's you have to be a certain kind of um Mm. hardcore immersed fan to even subscribe to something Mm. so um putting anything like behind a kind of paywall or subscription service like it's not going to draw like new people in at all and kind of crack open any kind of conversation it's just going to be this same type of people that already mm. subscribe to Dave and already subscribe to Win and, and everything like that, you know, just have their favorites. I don't I don't think it's any kind of subscription thing would change much.
0: Oh, well, oh. one of the things I wanted to kind of ask, it leads nicely into a much. Sort of...
3: before, before you change oh,
0: topic, go maybe, on.
3: the, the one thing I have for because
0: I, I although I am usually a big proponent
3: of paywalls, and I will fight to the death. Or me tweets on Twitter, anybody who attacks the newspaper payrolls, the reality is wrestling adopted paywalls pretty much before anybody. yeah paywalls is not the issue for wrestling media. Yeah. The issue is because there are several well-established paywall sites, you' really tr- you're really struggling to establish why people should pay for you as well. Mm. The what I did think of I was, I was reading um, I have never bought a copy of the Blizzard. You know how the Football Periodical has launched its sister one that you can read for free? Yes, um, so. I, was having, I was having a look at that, and I was like, maybe, that's what we should try and create? You know, a, a, almost like a pro wrestling quarterly mm. that is a bit like the Voices of Wrestling, actually, their, um, their annual New Japan book, where, mm. you know, it's, it's nicely produced. Um, there is avenue to pay for it. And you release that once or two or three times a year. Well, actually, and that's it's... a way of actually showcasing some features about the big issues because one issue you have the one issue you have the internet is the internet. You have to have your story within a day or two of a news story breaking. Otherwise, it's very difficult to get people to read it. Like the internet mm. uh, places a premium on immediacy. And the, the benefit of even digital magazines is it gives space to do the research, do the reporting, to actually do go more in-depth.
0: Well, one of the things, actually, Emily, I wanted to ask you, is that you write in um, journals like that in terms of mind games and, um, and Orange Crush. Is that right?
1: Yeah, Orange, Orange Crush came out, has had one issue, and they came out re- Yeah, Orange Crush, I know... Um... What is intended to be like an arts journal, not necessarily a news mm-hmm. journal, but I do think that a a news journal, like quarterly or something, would sell. I think if there was like good, I think you'd have to have a mix of like more established writers with like new voices, and but I, I do think that that would that would work.
0: Which kind of is one of the things that, and slightly change, changing topics here, almost away from kind of wrestling journalism. But one well, of the kind kind of, of, sorry, sorry, no, I well, you,
3: uh, the one anecdote I wanted to tell about professionalism in media because I think this is a this is a key point. I think this is one of the issues with the relationship between uh, prof- uh, the promotions and the outlets, which is uh, we're you You, JP, were talking about you no. Know, you no, know, some of these promotions aren't even companies. You know, mm. there, there are a couple of blokes doing it, and it is always blokes doing it in their spare time at the weekend. Uh, but obviously that's not true of Progress. You know, progress is, you know, I, I've done the, the the articles on it. It's it is a very pro- it's a very profitable big company. I think before the pandemic hit, it had seven people working for it either part time or full time basis, not including the owners. And I was struck when I first went to Progress for Press, which I'd been there as a fan several times, but I went, I went to Progress for Press for the Wembley show. And I, you know, I've, I've, I've been going to UFC shows at ringside since 2009. And UFC, and I you know this is you no know, hobbyist, part time reporter, but you know, the first time went to UFC, they made you sign a contract. They made you promise to all these promise not to do all all these sorts of things. Mm. They made you promise not to cheat. Promise not to be drunk. You know, etc., etc., etc. You get to progress. What's progress doing? They're literally giving the journalists beer.
0: Yeah,
3: and like, you know, me JP. I like my drink. Don't like beer, but I like my drink. But my thing has always been if you're if you're there uh, in a formal press capacity. Mm. Um, you don't drink. You, drink. you drink after you've done the show, and mm. I was just you know, and you had people you know from you know, Talk Sport, Wrestle Talk, Cultaholic, and they're just drinking their beer. And I'm like, this is not how anybody in MMA media, other than the Brazilians. Brazilians are awful. Anybody who's been at a UFC show will tell you the Brazilians just go wild. It's it's, it's quite remarkable. But, uh, but no, no one in MMA media would behave like the uh, most of the British media crew would do at a progress show. Yeah. And it just talks about the lack of
0: professionalism that's endemic in uh, British wrestling. Well, a company that I normally would say is always professional... Um, But this last weekend, I started to ask some very serious questions and I wanted to kind of cover something a bit more fun and light that on a regular week would probably send me somewhat insane. And we have a couple of sort of big New Japan fans, which is always interesting as a company that I think has done a lot more to kind of grow and cultivate its fan base a lot better than we ever kind of really appreciate. Um, But I want to ask... um, and. I'll ask you first, Emily. Is okay. everything evil or is everything just shit?
1: No, everything is evil. Come on. No, I... I uh, I
0: read your take on this. And I, I won't uh, lie. I, I, I had a thought.
1: I was... I'm. I know I was more positive about the evil turn than a lot of people, although I didn't, like, really care for his matches last weekend, but I did, like, a lot of his New Japan Cup matches. But, like... I don't know, I'm I'm pro the evil turn because uh um it's partly I think because everything sucks so much in like the real part of wrestling that like this just insane storyline where it's like, oh suddenly he has this wild like spinal tap entrance and Hiromu's like screaming and it's just like such a weird time for wrestling where it's like, they can only do one third capacity crowds anyway. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm here for it. I'm here for just Dick Togo is here. Like, let's go crazy. Like, this seems like a good time to experiment with something in a fun way. So I, I am a Naito Homer. If he ever gets any IWG the Heavyweight title match in the future, I will be all in on rooting for Naito. But like, I, I am Excited about what they're going to do with evil. Maybe it'll suck, but like, I'm I'm here for it. I'm on board.
0: You're on board with it, Steph.
1: Yeah. Um, I I loved it as well. Like,
2: I, you know, I, I think I said to you before, JP, like, I, that I had this like fantasy of Hulomu winning this tournament to like bring happiness and light to us, and obviously that didn't happen. And this whole thing with evil, like. He finally got a personality during this tournament, and it might be the personality of a man that hits you in the balls, but it, it's at least, like, something. And then to get to the final, the, the him joining the Bullet Club, and then him actually winning. Like, you can't fault Gato for actually fully really getting behind someone for saying, okay, we're going to move your factions, you're going to change your look, and we're actually going to put the two belts Because I don't think anyone expected that. So I thought it was amazing. I think hopefully um, Hiromu can get something out of it because his performance at, at the end of that match was such the, like, theatre that I love of New Japan. And I just, like, my whole story in my head is that Evil spent this whole lockdown getting more and more angry about how people just think Sonata is this great, handsome man and Evil has been out there in his cloak and his eyeshadow, and no one has even given him a second thought, and he's just been like, fuck this, I'm kicking you in the balls, I'm joining Bullet Club. The only person I feel sorry for is my mum, who's Jay White's biggest fan and wants Bullet Club to release an official statement saying that he's still their leader.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. we got two here in, in Love With Evil for this. Jay White, we're going to leave off for for <laughs> this one that's a whole other kettle of fish william what about uh-huh. you uh, oh i thought it was terrible um, <laughs> i feel I mean, bad for I thinking that now
2: match. say that it wasn't a good match technically no. but it was, it was a
3: spectacle um <laughs> uh, i think the thing is like the thing with new japan is you always have to think it's it's not primarily designed for you um Evil is not somebody I particularly want to be in main events uh, when I'm watching mm. New Japan, but I I, no, I don't mind them pushing uh, Evil as a big heel. Um, I think the issue I have is logically, this is not the way you would do a turn. Um, it is it is too rapid. You know, you turn somebody heel on the Saturday you haven't win a title on Sunday, you know, that's just the type of thing if WWE do we redo it with Slater. You know, it the comparison I said was JBL. I think it would have been it would have been much better for New Japan to actually have done this turn uh, in the first round of the New Japan Cup, however they wanted to do it. We'll get on to that in a second. Establish Evil's new heel character, um, build to a final of uh, either Evil versus sonada or Evil versus uh, Takahashi and have Emochito with the heel heat and then face um, Naito the day after when you've had this almost month period to build up the rivalry between the two of them. Um, It it just, it's strange credibility to go for, even though I know they've been building up the fact that Evil seemed to have a, Adam more heelish attitude in the lead up to the, to the final. It does train credibility to, you know, on the Friday Evil was, mis- you know, in LAJ, they were all best mates and then on the Sunday um, they're, they're grudge enemies. In addition to that, I thought the outfit was bad. It was really bad. Um, the, the, the waistband with black, tight black tights does not go. It looks, I'm not saying this in a negative way, you know, if you want to be Bender from Future Armor, go for it. But it, it does look like a ballerina costume. It was more was...
0: Awesome Kong, I thought, than anything else.
3: But Awesome Kong do not wear tights for, this, for the reason it doesn't work. You know, yeah. I, no, I've seen plenty of people wear those waistbands. They're really cool, but they're meant to be like warrior outfits. So you don't usually have tights on underneath. And it just didn't work. I also think the tights, they're black tights, slim thighs, unfortunately they don't have slim mine. Um, so well they, maybe they do and they're just huge. Um, but it just didn't suit him. Um, and that is part of the issue. When you turn somebody heel the day before the biggest match in their career, you don't give yourself any time to fine tune um, how you're going to present them on their coming out party. And then finally... Oh fuck off with the Bullet Club! Um, like I, I'm not as anti Bullet Club as some people who watch New Japan are. I think there's a bit of gatekeeping coming on. Like, oh, the bit of New Japan that Americans like, we must hate. But the the, the brilliance of the Bullet Club was the idea of this is the like foreign faction. So it would make perfect sense for them to just not be around during this period where New Japan can't get any foreigners in. Mm-hmm. And I think New Japan would have been much wiser to you know to to, uh, sta- no, to to stand in solidarity with uh, Steph's mum to just to just let the bullet club stay in the sidelines until you can get the Tongans and Jay White and Kenta back into Japan. And then, you know, just have evil, Dick Togo, Ishomori and somebody else, I want to say show, which is a very mm-hmm. controversial opinion, just form some new heel faction. Like New Japan, you don't just have to have the same factions you had in 2013. You can create new ones. Um, and then fourthly, I, it, it does, it is starting to feel like uh, uh, ghetto, Obviously, when he kind of put the title on um, on Carabao, when nobody ever saw it coming, um, that was like such a ballsy call. Everybody said he was crazy, and it more than paid off. It was an ingenious call that has paid so much dividends, not just in Hans Okada's career, but also in Hans Tanahashi's. And then, obviously, he did the same thing with AJ Styles, who was a very low ebb in his career when he came to New Japan. And they did the same thing. It does feel like he has fallen in love with that as a tactic, and he just wants to keep doing it and doing it and doing it without realising he was dealing with very unique talents. Like, having stood with solidarity with Steph's mom, I am now not going to stand with solidarity with Steph's mom, but in the sense of I always thought, Jay White was hurt by being rushed into the IWGP title scene. Uh, I think he was pushed beyond his level um, and that uh, hurt him. Maybe uh, the IC
0: I, belt first would have been the one? Right. I would have said
3: never. I, I think never would have been a brilliant level for Jay White when he when he yeah. first got that IWGP title. Um, and I feared the same thing for Evil. And then fearfully, it just talks to the incoherence of the New Japan product because it's like I'm looking at this story and I'm like, so, okay, are the Bullet Club feuding with LIJ, or are they feuding with Okada and Chaos? And there's always been the problem with this post-King um, of Pro Wrestling 2018 so iteration of the Bullet Club, which is you have the stuff the Bullet Club is doing, and then you have Gedo being a dick to Okada. And uh, for the same reason I said about uh, why the Bullet Club shouldn't really be part of New Japan at the moment, GEDO has no place in the Bullet Club. He shouldn't be a part of it. It's completely a get- be, It is like Vince McMahon being part of the NWO. It completely goes against the point of the uh, gaming. Um, but also, you know, he's, he is such a, like, a hard-on for this rivalry with Okada. It always mixes the message so yeah though evil champion wouldn't be what I would do, but you know it's a Very... it's, it's a reasonable idea Dick Togo as his henchman get in that's cool uh, but not this way this is just a mediocre idea done well, in the worst possible way
0: well, I mean Emily, do you feel that this is I mean ultimately is this just a stopgap if the dome goes ahead? Is the biggest match they have Naito Okada again for a, what, fourth? Maybe a, it'll be a fourth time in the Dome. Is that the match you go to? Therefore, is Evil just a stopgap in order to get Evil to a level so he's maybe challenging possibly more around Intercontinental?
1: Gosh, I don't know. I guess I haven't thought about, like, what are they going to do for the Dome this year? Because my big theory before this was that they were going to do, like, is going to lose to... Ibushi, and that would like crown him. But that was also kind of what I wanted to happen. But I was like, this is plausible. But I don't even know like, are they even going to do like, can they even do the Tokyo Dome? Like, I I haven't thought that ahead that far. But like, I feel like maybe the plan is to put it on a more established guy for the dome. I think Mm -hmm. that seems pretty plausible. Like, whether that's Naito Okada again or maybe like, I don't know. They they were hinting at Naito Tanahashi for a while. They could do that. Like there are a few other options. I don't. I don't, yeah. I can't even think of like what are they going to do for Wrestle Kingdom? Like cause the world is too crazy.
3: <laughs> my my in theory has been after after this is my best case scenario as somebody who is a Naito fan and I will still say, which, the match of the month podcast on this here network uh, agreed with me after they rewatched the matches, that the Naito-Okada match was much better than the naito the okada Bushi match, which I thought was highly overrated. A good match, but highly overrated. But my hope is you get Naito-Evil. And obviously, we all know Naito hates the IC title. And so Naito refuses to challenge for the IC title because he never wanted it in the first place. And so Naito beats Evil to get the world title back. You know, if you want to do the world title, and then you have evil with the IC title here, an
0: IC champion to uh, be chased by Sonata. Steph, how are you fantasy booking new Japan then in that case to get to the dome? What are you going with?
2: Oh God. I mean, no pressure. I, I- I can't really see evil headlining the dome but then again i could not see evil being the double champion it's <laughs> last week so that's a stupid thing to say but um i want to like the, the issue with them not you know having having the foreigners at the minute um i i first want to see like what they're going to do with the G- G1 like hopefully they'll get the foreigners back because they are going to need them they don't I, I don't think have enough to make a great G1 tournament um, I don't know what's going to happen with Bullet Club because I feel like it's either going to have to be Jay White and Evil forming some double evil team alliance or this turning into a rivalry where we have a split Bullet Club again maybe um, but then with Naito, like, I don't know, that poor guy, he just can never catch a <laughs> But I think when it comes to evil, like, the real money's probably in evil and, and Sonata uh, anyway. But then in my, like, heart, I just want to see Hiromu rise into the heavyweight division and actually be, like, the savior of everything and take down evil. That's why I kind of thought... Um, that when the match with Evil was made for both championships, you know, when Hiromu said, like, you can put one or both on the line, I don't mind. In my head, I was thinking, but just put the Intercontinental title on, on the line because then Huomo could, like, feasibly win that and it'd be awesome. But now he's put them both on the line. It's like, well, they're not going to give Huomo both belts unless Gato is just fucking with all of us. And it, this is just going to be like a merry-go-round of belt changes till we get to the dome.
0: I think in terms of Hiromu, that will be, for me, that's the long term. I think we're going to get a bit of a Naito journey with Hiromu, which considering Hiromu's fan base, I think is going to be sheer fucking torture for them for like I- four years until you get <laughs> one moment at the Dome where he'll win and then probably get attacked. Um, I would say a
2: storyline where Naito is like so depressed over what's happened and is more that kind of like angry sad. like we know we got to go fight this and i was like no i just want to like i'll just help anyone go in the card because i can't bring myself to do like a main match and is just out there, like taking them all on like taking on evil taking on every member of Bullet club <laughs> and he's just like rises to the top
3: and you've got to say like um i come with her saying this um uh... It may have been uh Sarah Pharrell. But, like Heromo must be in the running for the wrestle of the year based on his performances. Um, yeah. which is remarkable when you think of what he's came back from. And actually the um, um, the match that most impresses me oh completely blanking the guy's name now, the, the opening match he had against the guy who broke his neck. Honmouth. Homer, I completely blanked on his name. Mm. Like, I used to love Homer. You know, I remember, I remember I was in Trinidad, I was in the Caribbean watching like a Homer match on my tablet when I was meant to be on the beach because uh, like a, the latest New Japan show had dropped. And Homer is obviously a shadow of his former self, but Hiromo got a real match out of him because he's just that on fire at the moment. Mm. And it's incredible. You know, people people thought he was going to be like Homba when he came back; that he'd be somebody who just wouldn't be able to work and anywhere near the level he used to be able to. And he's came back uh, better than ever.
0: Emily, you've written several several pieces covering sort of Dominion and the New Japan Cup. Um, just as we're kind of wrapping things up, Horomu, is that where you go to long term? Is he effectively? I mean, for me, he seems like he could easily be the face of New Japan for a few years.
1: Oh, for sure. But then uh, I had the same reaction as when they made the match for both titles. I was like, oh, I want it so badly to be just for Intercontinental because it would seem possible. But, um, yeah, I think he could definitely be the face of the company going forward. Or they could just try and have him be like the face of the junior division and they could see him as like, I don't know. Cause of his like having Liger's last match and stuff like that, they could have a more long-term plan for him with the juniors. But yeah, I mean, he's how old is he? He's 30. They tend to kind of like build up a lot of their kind of home guys kind of slowly. So I think it, it will be a journey of a couple years before he's like a real face of the company guy.
3: Can I, can I just go as well? One of the things I think New Japan doesn't get enough credit for is how they they build characters with like the non-straight man's gaze in mind. Like WWE has a lot of attractive man. I mean, believe me, I've checked. And uh, but they're all their characters, their personas, all build around what straight men think is cool. So, like, they're they're really loud or they're silent and stoic and they come out to rock music. Whereas, you look at New Japan, I think they're very good at building these different characters that they're pitched at a level with a subtlety that I just don't think WWE has. And I think Hiromu is the best example of that because it's a bit on the nose. Like, he's this good looking guy uh, with the the colourful clothes. Who's an artist and loves cats. Like it's, it's brilliant, um, and it's amazing that in many ways the most sexist promotion in major mm-hmm. in pro wrestling is the one that is so adept at not pitching every single character at the male gaze. It's it's quite remarkable.
2: That's the thing, like how you described. Hiromu that's brilliant because if someone you know asked me to describe Roman Reigns I I don't think I have anything to to say like that there's no character there whatsoever and big dog yeah Yeah. he's the big dog but if you um where some people might look at Hiromu's character and And just from looking at it, be like, I don't get this, this is too wacky. But if you're following it, you're invested in his character because he's been able to put across to you what his actual character is um, and everything about him, Um, you know, even like the stuff he does on on Instagram or YouTube or whatever, it's all part of what makes you fall in love and become so invested in Haromu. And, yeah, I would have a really hard time describing the actual characters of any wwe superstar right now and that's kind of like that's the most annoying thing um right then but new japan does have a good way of just building up like actual actual characters and yeah they're not just the kind of what straight men would want a wrestler to be
0: on that note that is a lovely way to wrap up this conversation and it also guarantees steph that we will be playing hiromu's theme tune that's closer (laughs) to this it feels like it'd be rude not to do that. But I would really like to thank you all. It's been an absolutely fantastic and enlightening conversation. Emily, where can the good listeners find more of your work? And-
1: uh, the good listeners can find my uh, more of my work um, on uh, fanbite.com slash wrestling. And on DeadlockPW.com, I do regular reviews of New Japan shows for fanbite and kind of just write about a variety of things for Deadlock. Uh, and you can find all of my work and just tweets on my Twitter account uh, at Emily of Pratt.
0: Steph, anything to plug? Any Thank big you. interviews like <laughs> Corey, uh, Corey Graves and Carmella?
2: Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Stephanie Cheese. Um, uh, as I say, I've got one with Brandy Rhodes that just went up. Um, one with uh, Bailey the day before that, and also um, you, my website StephanieCheese.com has like m- all my like favorite stuff. And on YouTube uh, forward slash Stephanie Cheese Wrestling.
0: William, last but by no means least. Yes. Um, what have you got so- to plug?
3: Uh, so obviously I'm on uh, Pro Wrestling uh, Torch uh, for British Wrestling Report, which has, uh, for reasons I'm not entirely sure, became an interview podcast. That was never the intention. Uh, we've had some really interesting discussions. So what, what I'm trying to do is get out to the various different parts of these islands, uh, these islands, uh, both Great Britain and, and the Island of Ireland. So, you know, we've had Sarah Green from Scotland. We've had Claire Sims from uh, my neck of the woods, Wolverhampton later in the, later in the week, so just after this comes out, we'll have uh, Sarah Farrell to talk about Ireland. We also had what's um, already up is a interview with Big Wavy Roy Johnson about the role that race and racism plays in British wrestling. You can also find me on uh, the It Could Be Said po- uh, podcast, so just Google It Could Be Said, Bus route, and you'll probably find it, which is a politics podcast, which I do with some friends from university. And I will give you one final plug, which is I, uh, for my shoot job, I have the uh, great pleasure of hosting Patrick Vernon, who is a civil rights campaigner and cultural historian, to talk about his campaign to make Windrush Day the anniversary of the arrival of HMS Windrush into the UK, carrying people from the Caribbean to settle in in Great Britain uh, to make our public holiday. Um, We had that talk at the University of Wolverhampton, and that talk is actually available on our Quality and Diversity website as a podcast.
0: Brilliant. And we will have links for all of this in the show notes. Thank you all so much. I'll speak to you all next time. Bye.